Good morning. I'm Rob. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to welcome you. Thanks to the band and their, their great job leading every week. And you know, they show up here about 8 a.m., and they'll be here until close to one-ish just by the time they get everything cleaned up and ready for the day. So it's a significant commitment, but week in, week out, we're grateful for the ministry that they have uh, here at River Cross Church. So thank you, folks. Uh, we're in the last two weeks of a really long sermon series. So it's been 30, uh, it'll be 31 weeks in total by the time we're finished. This is week uh, 30. So we've got one more Sunday, next Sunday. And then after that, we're not having any sermon series until July. So uh, kind of like middle of May till the end of June, you have no idea what you're getting when you come here on Sunday morning, which is our way of saying we have no idea what we're going to do. Um, but the middle of May to the end of June, there's just lots of special things. We have graduation Sunday, we've got community outreach Sunday, Father's Day, some special stuff. So we're just kind of roll with it and just kind of chill out till then. And then in July, we're going to kick off a, ser a series called Summer Projects. And I don't know what your home or property, need, if it needs work or if there's things you're working on, have some projects. But we're going to talk about some of the, maybe the spiritual projects that you might have in your life. Some of the things that maybe you're thinking about or wanting to work on. And we're going to kind of do a real practical teaching series on that. And uh, then in the fall, we're going to kick off a series. Uh, last week when I was speaking, I talked about, um, kind of playfully, the idea that each of you are a community outreach pastor somewhere. That God has given you a calling uh, where you live, work, and play to, to be his light in the world. And we're going to unpack that for about six weeks, starting the middle of September through, and just really uh, do a deep dive on that. So we're looking forward to that. Anyway, so that's enough for now. Uh, but today we're in kind of the second last week of this really long sermon series, and we're grateful that you've hung in with us through this period. I want to talk this morning about legacy. So, someone's cell phone up here is ringing, if anybody's looking. <laughs> We're going to talk about legacy, and um, legacy is about how we will be remembered. And I don't know if you've ever thought about your legacy, or ever thought about kind of your repu reputation. Is it for you, Kathy? It's not yours. <laughs> she swears it's not hers. Should we talk to them? No. Oh, dear. Yeah. This interlude has been brought to you by TELUS, so. Pri uh, legacies are all about priorities. Your legacy is really determined by the priorities that you choose to have as kind of central to your life. And um, when I think of people who've, whose legacy, and this doesn't mean that you've already passed on, this could, uh, there's people here now who are living out a legacy that are influencing my life. For example, um, there's some folks in this congregation who have kids older than our kids. And the way that they have raised those kids, they've left a legacy for, for Jill and I as we think about how do we do this? How do we keep family a priority during the busyness of life? And watching them and the priorities that they chose and lived by, they've left a legacy that we use. I think of a preacher that I've had the privilege of working with when I was in my undergrad. And at the time, so this was back in the 90s, at the time he was a fantastic Bible teacher, and I loved listening to him. And I got to hear him again for the, ever, the first time since, um, probably it was two years ago, I got to hear him speak again. And I realized this, um, he's gotten better. And I listened to him speak, he was using new technology, he's still a fantastic Bible teacher, but he had grown and adapted and kind of changed over the years. And the, the message to me, or the legacy that I saw there, was here was somebody who was already good at something, 
but they chose to get better. And they chose to say, God, this is what you've called me to do. I'm going to do it every better, and I'm going to just keep working away at it. And I love that legacy. And here's the great thing about legacies. You get to choose what yours will be. You get to choose what your legacy will be by the priorities that you choose for your life. And this morning, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul and kind of his legacy uh, and his resounding legacy throughout the scriptures. And hopefully today, it will be challenging and encouraging to you. We're going to look at two people in one city, Paul, Timothy, and the city of Ephesus. And they're just so intertwined together. It was a theme of your readings this week. If you've been reading through Acts chapter 20 to 23, talk about Paul's visit to the city of Ephesus. And then Paul, after he's been to Ephesus, writes a letter back to Ephesus in the book of Ephesians. And then he writes a letter back to Timothy, who's a pastor in the church of Ephesus. You can see I've got a little timeline here on the screen. Don't so much pay attention to the dates because depending on which New Testament scholar you listen to, they'll vary by a year or so. But in about year, the year 50 AD, Paul is traveling to Lystra, and we'll talk about that in a second, and he meets Timothy for the first time, and Timothy then joins with him. They end up in Ephesus, and they spend three years together ministering in this city. After that, Paul leaves, and he heads directly from Ephesus to go back to Jerusalem. When he's in Jerusalem, he gets arrested and gets sent to Rome. And while he's in prison the first time, he writes the book of Ephesians to the church back in Ephesus. He's released, he gets imprisoned again. In his second imprisonment, he writes a letter back to Timothy, who's now the pastor in Ephesus, and writes to encourage him. And just a few years later, Paul is beheaded by Emperor Nero. So this book of Ephesians, this character of Paul, this char- their lives have been intertwined together so significantly through this New Testament journey, and we're going to look together a little bit of Apostle Paul and the, the ministry that he had in Ephesus, but in particular, his reputation and his legacy that he had. And I wanted to say two things about legacy. The first one is this, he had a legacy of people. Paul had a legacy of people. Second Timothy starts, as we start beginning the reading in it, we see right away he starts talking about other people. He starts talking about Timothy. I'm just going to turn with, to 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you're going to uh, follow along this morning, feel free to do so. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul starts saying this, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I've been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Right out of the gate, Paul is concerned about other people. He could have started by saying, hey, I'm in prison. The food here is awful. The guy that I'm chained to has got awful B.O. Please send some deodorant. Um, Have you met people like this? As soon as you meet them, as soon as you get talking to them, they start talking about themselves. And the only subject that interests them is them. And it doesn't matter what you talk about. They always bring every conversation back to them. Paul's legacy is one of other people. I constantly remember you in my prayers. I love how Paul starts kind of reminiscing after this. And he's remembering the very first time that he met Timothy and the very first time he met his grandma and his mother in the city of Lystra. Now, we talked about Lystra last Sunday, and I know you remember it. So uh, let's just remind us, just for the, a few of you that may have forgotten. 
Last week, we talked about Paul visiting the city of Lystra for the very first time. He gets speaking there, and immediately a significant number of people open their heart to Christ and become Christians. But some troublemakers from Iconium and Antioch show up there, and they start to kind of rile up the crowd, and they are successful. And the crowd turns on Paul, and they stone him. They pelt him with rocks. They drag him outside the city and they leave him for dead. And remember, the disciples come and they gather around him and kind of poke him with the stick to see if he's going to make it or not because they think he's actually deceased. And it said that Paul got up and he went back into the city. This is the city of Lystra. And as Paul is remembering his time there, what does he remember? Oh, I remember this sweet little old lady, Lois. Oh, she was great. I remember how she opened her heart to Christ. And I remember her daughter, Eunice, and I remember how she opened her heart to Christ. It was so cool. And then little Timmy. <laughs> little Timmy was there, and Grandma and Mom share their faith with little Timmy, and little Timmy opens his heart to Christ. He was a teenager. Isn't that one? Is that what you would have remembered if you had been to Lystra? You were nearly stoned to death, but you remember the sweet little old lady who opened her heart to the Lord. Paul's legacy was one of people. Not his hardships, not his challenges or his difficulties. We see this throughout his letters. In fact, as you're reading through the New Testament and maybe reading through these epistles, there's sections that you're skipping over because it's just a bunch of Greek names that are really hard to pronounce. But for Paul, this is probably one of the most important parts of his letters. It's the people that he had the privilege of ministering to in each of these cities. I remember in Philippians, he writes this, Tychicus, he's a dear brother a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Onesimus, a faithful and dear brother. Aristarchus, Mark, Barnabas, all of these are my fellow workers. Paul remembers all of these people so well. Because for Paul, this is what this is all about. And I want to suggest to you today that if we just kind of go about the culture that we live in, we inherently will just become selfish. Because the culture that you and I are a part of tells us that if everything becomes about us and we become the center of attention and the center of our world and everybody around us exists to make us happy, then we will be truly happy. And that is really the gospel of our culture. And the reality is this. People who try to live that way are never happy. They're never happy. I struggle with this in my own life. Um, I am slightly task-oriented which means that sometimes tasks, productivity, or getting things done become more important to me than people. And in my years of ministry, in my years of being part of a family, I've come to learn this about myself. It does not mean that I'm getting better always the time, uh, but I am aware of it. We recently went on a short family vacation. Uh, we traveled from here south. We drove about 22 hours straight, all of us in a vehicle together. It was great. And I found myself en route, tempted to make getting there and making great time the most important thing. Instead of realizing I am with my family, and this is about spending time with them. I know this about myself. Paul's legacy wasn't three successful mission trips with balanced budgets and all of our outcomes met. That wasn't his legacy. It was all of these people who had come to faith in Christ and discovered this incredible news that God had not given up on them. And I think the secret to this 
The secret to being others-focused is found in this first verse that we read together, where Paul writes this. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, and this is it here. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Who are you praying for constantly? Who is just relentlessly on that little sticky note in your Bible that where you pray each day? Who are those people? Paul had cultivated over his lifetime a priority of people by praying for people day and night. And if you would confess today and say, you know what, I tend to be a little selfish. The natural bent of my heart is to look after me or to think about me or to worry about me before anybody else. And you're looking for a cure for that. Here's one of the things I would say to you. Start praying for other people. Not like once a week. Every morning and every night. Relentlessly praying for other people. And as you do, the orientation of your heart will move towards others and make you less focused on yourself. Praying for other people. The second part of Paul's legacy, and it's actually the same one, and I just felt you'd feel ripped off I had a, if you got a one-point sermon this morning. So I took one point and, and broke them into two in all, all honesty. Uh, Paul's legacy really um, was first of all about people, but the second of all was that they would experience the grace of God. Paul just had a passion to see more and more people experience the grace of God. Paul's letter to Timothy is marked by grace. If you still have your Bibles open, uh, just look at chapter 1, the very first chapter here. Second verse, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. This is kind of like a standard greeting to whom it may concern, dear grandma, all that kind of stuff. But then he says, to Timothy, my dear son, what's the first word? Grace. It's grace. Turn with me, the very end of 2 Timothy. Chapter 4 Verse 22, you'll see the heading there might read in your Bible, Final Greetings, it's got a whole list of people's names that virtually none of us can pronounce. And then in verse 22, it says this, The Lord be with your spirit, what? Grace be with you. When Paul is writing the letter to 2 Timothy, he knows he's going to die. In some of Paul's other writings, he writes to the churches and he says, I can't wait to be with you. I'm planning my journey now. Put a roast in the oven because I'm on my way. When he writes the letter to 2 Timothy, he knows he's never going to get there. And he says to them, my death awaits me. These are my last days. He knows that this is the end. And as he writes and thinks about what he wants to say to these people, he wants them to know about the grace of God. And grace is simply this, God's unconditional love for us. His unearned favor towards us, which is simply this. If you have not read one of the weeks of the Bible readings for this last 32 Sundays where we've gone through the story, God loves you as much as the person who's read every single one in advance, in the original languages. God's affection for you is not based on what you've done. It's based on who he is. He loves you because that's who God is. He sees you as his daughter and as his son. And he would hope that your heart would open and respond to that great, great grace. Grace is what we ex Paul experienced both from God, Christ himself. It's also what he experienced from the church. 
What do you call it when the person you used to persecute now invites you to follow him, as Jesus did? It's grace. What do you call it when someone looks at everything you've ever done that was filthy and embarrassing and awful and forgives it forever? Grace. What do you call it when someone not only forgives you of your past, but empowers you that your life would get used for eternal, eternal purposes? That's grace. What do you call it when the community that you used to persecute now welcomes you in and invites you to lead them? It's grace. Paul's life was marked by this kind of grace. There's only one physical description of the Apostle Paul that all exists in ancient writings. None of it occurs in the scriptures, but there is this uh, document that was found, um, written apparently shortly after the days of Paul. And this is the physical description of the Apostle Paul. Ladies, you're going to want to take some notes because there's some good stuff here. This is what they wrote down. We saw Paul coming. He was a man of small size. He was bald-headed and crooked thighs. So here, bow-legged. He was well-built with eyebrows meeting in the middle. Okay, he had a unibrow. And rather long nose. And full of grace. That was the description from just a person who observed Paul and saw him. They describe his physical appearance, and then they add this line, he was full of grace. And Paul had a legacy of grace. It starts in this dramatic conversion, but it was not a one-time experience for him. It empowered him to do what God had called him to do every day. Paul relied on this grace when he faced persecution. He makes mention throughout his writings of the sufferings that he had, and they were extensive. He talks to the church in Corinth about how many times he'd been beaten, starved, insulted, shipwrecked, flogged, and in danger of death. I mean, it sounds like a recent YouTube video of airline travel. This was Paul's experience. But the testimony of his life is that God sustained him through it all. He had friends who left him, people that called him a liar, people who tried to ruin his reputation. And how he handled this was the continual undeserved provision of God in every season. And maybe for some of you here today, that's the word that you need to hear and what you need to be reminded of, that God will provide for whatever your season you are in. And you might say, no, no, but I, I, I don't deserve it. To which I would say to you, that's why it's called grace. It's undeserved, but it's God's gift to us. There's another side of Paul's legacy of grace. Not only did it sustain him through his ministry, but he lived with this real passion that everybody he came in contact with would know that God has not given up on them. You see it as you read his writings. He lived with this incredible passion that what he had experienced of God, you could experience too. And it got him in trouble with churchy people again and again and again. Because people in that day, and I suggest people in our day, we have a list. It's not a written list. We might not even be conscious of it. But we have a list of people that we just think that God would not love. That God would not reach out to. That God would not extend grace to. Whether it's conscious or subconscious, I think we all have a list 
Maybe we work hard, we pay our taxes, and we see someone that cheats the system, and we just think, you know what, God would never love somebody like that. I work really hard. God would not treat them the same as he treats me. Maybe it's people that are different from us politically or financially or sexually or physically, ethnically, religiously. I don't know what your list is, but we struggle to get our minds around it. And if grace is true grace, then God has affection for everyone who's not lived up to his holy standard. He has affection for everyone who has not met his holy standard. Whatever our them is, he's got as much affection for them as he does for us. And Paul lived his life as though God's grace is available in hunting us down. And that's why it is so offensive. It's also why it's such great news. Let me give you an image that will just maybe bother you a little bit more. I saw this tweet this week by Bob Goff. He's a Christian author. And it said this, Grace would climb the stairs three at a time to get to us. And I love that image. How how many of you have ever run up the stairs really quickly? Maybe you had to go to the bathroom or uh, you forgot your car keys or like you just had to see somebody and you just could not wait one second longer. This is the image that Bob's presenting to us. I want you to imagine for a second the people that are on your list, the list of people that you just have a really hard time imagining that God would love. I want you to imagine Jesus running up the stairs three at a time to get to them. And maybe that person is you today. You just have a really hard time imagining that God would have any affection or any room in his heart for you. And I tell you today that he does. He has deep affection for you. It's the powerful thing about grace. It's undeserved, and it's for everyone. This was Paul's experience. He had experienced it. He felt so undeserving, and he was. And yet God's kindness was extended to him, and it absolutely transformed his life. And he just lived on this mission to make sure that everybody heard the news and was given the opportunity to say, that is what I want for my life. It's his legacy. I know some of you are thinking, hey, I'm 22. I'm really not thinking much about my legacy at this point. It's the furthest thing of my mind, and that's fine. But legacies are really about the story that we're telling with our lives. And there's no greater story that you can tell with your life than the story of God's grace. And so my challenge, my homework, my encouragement to each of you this morning is would you tell the story of God's grace with your life this week? Let me pray. Lord, this morning we are just so grateful and moved at the fact that you would run up the stairs three at a time for us. And maybe we've never really imagined that or thought about that. Maybe we have just always assumed that because of what we've done or some of the things that are in our lives or something,